Would you turn to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. I, uh, when it, well, okay. We, we've said so much about revival. And we have gotten so far away as a church now, the body of Christ. We've got, gotten so far away from what revival is really all about, our understanding of it. So, we accept what religion defines as revival. But if we go back into the New Testament, we begin to study what happened. And really, the book of Acts is an excellent book to read and study when it comes to what really happened way back when. There was persecution, but... There were incredible moves of God, and not just through the hands of the apostles. There were other people that God used mightily. When it comes to the kind of revival that God wants, it requires living by faith. Now, the concept of living by faith has generally been lost on the body of Christ. So what's happened is we've had a lot of faith preachers along the years, over the decades. They tell us about living by faith and what it means. And one of the saddest aspects of that is how so many preachers have made living by faith, it seems as though they've made it about just getting more money, getting more stuff. And that's not it. I mean, granted, God blesses, I understand that. But years ago, you know, I heard all that. You know, God wants you living by faith. He wants you blessed, blah, blah, blah. If you believe, you can have. If you believe, you can receive. It's like, yeah, money, 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 all right. Cars, houses, all right. Well, yeah, you can have more of those things, better of those things. That's true. I understand that. But when it comes to living by faith, man, it, I'm telling you, as the body of Christ, we have really fallen short of what it means to live by faith. And so every now and then, you hear somebody give a testimony of um, basically a third world existence. We have to trust God every day just for the beans to survive to the next day. And we hear that and it's like, wow, yeah, man. That, And now I'm not saying that those folks aren't living by faith. But see, you can swing the other way and start thinking that you're not living by faith if you're not you know, scrounging around in the dirt for something to eat. There's a balance here. But then it brings up a question, you know, what is living by faith? Because you've got a lot of Christians who have been highly offended by what they call the faith and confession or the word of faith message and whatever, but, you know, the only reason they're offended, well, no, I don't want to say the only reason, reasons that they maybe are offended by this is because they heard over and over again, you believe, you believe, and you, you're going to get rich and going to get blessed and so forth. Well, they didn't, didn't get rich and didn't get blessed. Didn't have more stuff. In fact, things got worse. So it's like, ah, oh, that faith and confession stuff, it doesn't work. Or maybe it had to do with healing. If you've got faith, you can be healed. Like, wow, you know, the healing never came and, you know, somebody died and all that. Well, I just don't believe that stuff. 
And then there's all the, the abuse. So you have some folks, they've gotten soured on all of that, and they've gone away. Well, you know, if you're going to base your belief about faith, confession, you know, word of faith and all that, if you're going to base your belief on those things, on what you hear from people, well, yeah, you're making as big a mistake as the other folks are. The ones that tell you it's all about money or make it seem like that's what they're saying. The Bible lets us know what living by faith is all about. Now, one of the things that, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and that is um, there can be frustration. What I mean by that is, how long is it going to be before I finally see faith results? And I don't doubt but what that maybe has crossed the mind of every person in this room. Maybe not. But I'd say most in this room, watching, listening, body of Christ, you hear so much about it, okay, well, where is it? And then people say, well, a lot of people claim that they're living by faith, but maybe they're not. We need to take a look at this because if we're going to have the kind of revival that God wants, we really need to know what living by faith is all about. And then we need to do it. And it's not as complicated as what some people have seemed to make it. Or maybe what we have made it in our minds. So let's take a look. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now stop right there. Don't even get into all the greater than these shall he do. I mean, I've taught on that before. We're not going to get into the greater. Just stay with the works. Jesus said, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Now, I'm going to be asking questions throughout this. You know, don't respond. Just, you know, don't lift your hand. Just kind of give me that blank stare. You're good at that. Just give me that blank stare. <laughs> Jesus says, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Okay, now do you believe that? Do I believe that? Seriously. Do we? I mean, do you believe you can raise the dead? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to. And then we get spiritual. Yes, of course I do. Jesus said it. Okay, you know what? Um... Don't lay that on me. I mean, very often you can tell just by the tone of a person's voice, they're just wanting to sound good because they know they're supposed to say it that way. Well, as I stand here before you, Jesus says, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Do I believe it? Yes, I believe it. But, I question myself as to how much I believe it. It's there in the Word. I mean, I, I can't deny that. So then I, I start, you know, counseling myself. Well, how much do I really believe this? I mean, I like to think I do, but how much do I really believe this? Because obviously, believe on me, the works I do, you'll do also. If you, what are we talking here? We're talking faith, right? We're talking faith. Okay, look over in Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not going to get into a lot of detail here. Not going to break it down. Just look at the end of the verse. The just shall live by faith. So, if we're born again, we're justified. We know that. The Bible says so. If you're born again, wash the blood of Jesus, you're justified. That's Scripture. That's truth. So then, if I'm justified, that means I'm a member of the just. And I'm supposed to be living by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Alright. What faith? (laughs) The just shall live by faith. What faith? We'll look over in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, well, I'll tell you what, before you go to Romans chapter 10, go to Jude. Let's just go all the way to Jude. Jude, yeah. Hey, Jude. Jude. <laughs> now look at verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. What faith? What faith? You know, just shall live by faith. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. What faith? Okay, faith, you know, walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not what faith? Walk by faith, not by sight. You're not, I'm not moved by what I see, feel, or hear. I'm only moved by the Word of God. Walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, well, what, did, what does that mean? I mean, seriously, what does this mean? And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, fine. What Word of God? What Word of God? See, I'm only verbalizing the questions that a lot of people have dealt with over the years. What Word of God? Okay, I can give you one verse to answer all of this. Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. We've seen it so many times. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. If you have a red letter Bible, look at what Jesus said. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There it is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, what word? Well, you need healing. It's the word of healing. What you need this. It's the word for that. And what? Okay, I get that. I understand what you're saying. But faith comes. Okay, man shall not live by bread alone. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. What faith? Faith that comes from the Word of God. What Word of God? Every word uh, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That Word of God. Right there. See that? That's it. That's your answer. That's it. This is living by faith. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by faith. What does that mean? By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This book that you have in your hand, right here. Whether it's electronic or print version, this is it right here. This is living by faith right here. This is it. This is it. There's nothing else. This is it right here. It's called the Bible. Now, some people do not believe in 
prophecy. In other words, uh, a prophetic word that comes forth in the service happens quite a bit here. A lot of people don't believe that. However, when a prophetic word comes, I'm talking a genuine prophetic word, that is coming from where? God. That means that the prophetic word that comes forth in a church service, it's coming from the same source that this book came from. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God inspires every genuine prophetic word. Some people don't believe in those prophetic words. Some who do believe in it diminish their value. Well, it's not the Bible, but it came from the same source. But it's not the Bible. I agree, but it came from the same source. So should we not value it as being equal in authority relative to its point of origin? See what I mean? But a lot of people don't believe in, yea, thus saith the Lord. They don't believe in those kind of prophetic words. Okay, you know what? If you don't, you don't. Bottom line is this. You can't get away from this book right here. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is it. This is living by faith. Now, you go into a room. Let's say we get 200 Christians in a room. And I'm I'm talking people that genuinely have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you ask them, are, are you living by faith? Are you, and what are they going to say? Well, yeah, I'm living by faith. Yeah. And some people, it'll be false humility. Well, I could do better, but yes, I'm living. And then some people, it'll be genuine. I really could do better, but, you know, I'm trying. Really. So, I am living by faith. And it, if you turn it around and say, okay, how many of you in here, born again, washing the blood of Jesus, how many of you... You're not living by faith at all. Well, you might have a couple of people say, well, that's me. (laughs) But generally, I doubt anybody's going to raise their hand. Because as Christians, we're told, live by faith. Whether you speak in tongues or not, I mean, live by faith. So therefore, well, I'm supposed to live by faith, so I say I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith. How do you know? Well, I go to church. Well, I, you know, I read my Bible. Well, I pray. I mean, okay, you're living by faith. But are you living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? Are you? That is living by faith. And you can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, now, this verse right here, it kind of convicts me, so I don't think I want that one. I remember, there was a, a preacher, I think I remember his name, and, and this guy, in the early years, he kind of settled down when he hit, like, late 50s, 60s. But he was kind of flamboyant. And he's, he was in a church preaching, and I don't know what all had gone on during the days leading up to this particular service, but he'd been in there preaching, and he stands up, and he's reading something out of Scripture, and he says, you know what? And he rips the page out of the Bible and throws it down, and he says, you people don't believe this because you don't live by it. So we, we don't even need it in there. Well, that'll raise some eyebrows. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't do that. If I were... If I were going to do something like that, then I'd get a piece of paper that looks like Scripture. 
and I would act like I'm tearing it out. <laughs> but I just, I really, anyway. If you're going to live by faith, you have to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's Genesis to Revelation. Now, you cannot, now listen closely to this, because I'm telling you right now, you're going to, you've got a bunch of Christians out there. They get fired up. You know how uh, when Paul and others were ministered, especially if you read the book of Acts, Paul, he'd minister truth and he'd reveal from He would prove from Scripture that Jesus is the Christ. And then the Jews get all mad and want to kill him. I mean, do you know how many times that guy escaped death? I mean, the one time of some of his buddies, they had to lower him down in a basket you know, over a wall because people were out there looking for him. In one situation, you had a bunch of Jewish people. They were so mad they wanted to kill him. They were going to attack Roman soldiers just to get at Paul. You've got to be a lunatic to do something like that. Anyway, I said all that to say this. There are Christians out there. I don't know to what degree they will get mad if they hear this. But the potential is there. You cannot, it's impossible, you cannot vote for, approve of, or accept abortion and be living by faith. It's impossible. Well, it got quieter than I thought it would. It's impossible. No, you can't. You can't. It's impossible. Absolutely, totally impossible. Now, I don't even have to go back into the Old Testament where God talks about the shedding of innocent blood and how if you do that, you die. About offering up your children to Molech and all these other pagan gods that the Jews got involved with. God said, you do that, you die. You die. And now today people say, well, I'm not raising a statue to Molech. You don't understand the spiritual implications of what you're doing with abortion. You can't do that. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. And we're talking about living by faith. Because see, everybody, Christians, everybody wants to talk about, oh, I'm living by faith, I'm living by faith. And then you turn around and what? You vote for politicians that are in favor of murdering babies. And you say you're living by faith? You're living by blindness. Well, I personally would never get one, but a woman's got a right to do what she wants with her body. Don't give me that garbage. You, you have been, you have bought into the poison pill. When you repeat that mantra. You're not living by faith. You're not. If you're born again, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? If you're born again, okay, your body means something to God. Therefore, listen to me, you do not have the right to do whatever you want with your body, male or female. Do you hear me? You don't have that right. You have free will to choose. But in the kingdom of God, you do not have that right. See, and this is where a lot of Christians don't understand that. Why not? Because they don't know what it means to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. They just don't. In Mark chapter 10, look here. Verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased 
and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. See that? That In verse 14, you see the phrase, little children. It comes from the Greek word, Pideon. And it means a little boy or a little girl. It means uh, a child that's recently born. And it can give the image of up to like what we might call preteen, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12 year old, whatever. That's what this passage, this phrase is talking about, a little child. And Jesus says, let them come unto me. Let them come unto me. Well, guess what you can't do? If you've already murdered the kid, you can't do this. You can't. Now, look over. Let's take it a step further. Turn to Luke. Because in Luke chapter 18, we see the same situation. But Luke gives us even more information about this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15. And they brought unto him, now look, also infants. See that? Okay, now in Mark it said little children. But now Luke says they brought also infants. You see that? So Luke, it's almost like he's saying they brought little children and also infants. That he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So we see it's the same story. But Luke is adding information that's a little bit different from Mark, but it's the same story. Mark gives us part of the story. Luke gives us more of the story. You see this? Because, you see that word infants in verse 15? That word infants is the Greek word brephos. Now the word brephos, it can mean a babe, which, you know, like a a one-year-old, you know, just a, a baby. It can mean a newborn or an older infant, but... Now listen to this and listen closely. Another part of its definition is an unborn child. The image of that is this. A pregnant woman going to Jesus and asking Him to lay His hands on her belly to bless the unborn child. How on God's green earth are you going to explain to Jesus that you are in favor of murdering the children He wants to bless? How? Now granted, I understand. A lot of women have had abortions before they understood these things. That's grace, where God's grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, that's where all that is dealt with. But to continue believing this? Now listen to me. You can fuss and argue all you want, but I'm telling you right now, knowing what The Word of God says, the Word that is proceeded forth out of His mouth. 
If you are in favor of abortion, you very likely are going to burn in the lake of fire for all eternity. Well, I don't believe that. You don't know the Word of God. Go back and find out the penalty for murdering innocent blood. Read it. Jesus went to the cross to die for these things. But when we continue to pursue these avenues of lifestyle, what we're saying is, Jesus, your death isn't good enough. I can still do these things. I can get away with them. It doesn't matter to me what you did. People don't verbally say that, but their actions, their lifestyle, and their belief system is a declaration of those those very issues. You cannot vote in favor of a politician. Do you know what? Listen. When you vote in favor of a politician who approves of abortion, does whatever that politician, he or she can do to get abortion established and remain as something that can be done with no ramifications whatsoever, do you understand the imagery of what you're doing? No, you don't. It's as though what you're saying is this. You're saying, okay, you're my representative. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Washington and I want you to make sure that you get a law established that will allow mothers to conspire with medical staff to murder their unborn children. Do you hear me, politician? You do this. And to further this illustration, when you do that, it is... No different than if you were standing in the doctor's office in the exam room with the doctor and the medical staff and there's the the pregnant mother laying there on the table and the doctor looking at you and saying, this lady is pregnant, she's nine months pregnant, but she doesn't want this baby and she wants the baby aborted. What do you say? And you stand there in that exam room and you say, well, she has a right to do what she wants with her body. So please proceed with the abortion. And then you stand there and you watch. As that doctor is going through the process of invading that woman's body in the most private area possible. And begins torturing that Nine-month-old baby to kill it and butcher it and extract it from the mother. And in the process of that happening, while you're standing there, the odds are you're going to hear the muffled screams of that baby as it is being killed and mutilated. You voted for that. And you will stand accountable before God. And I am firmly convinced that those who are so in favor of abortion are headed for an eternity in the lake of fire. You cannot live by faith and be in favor of abortion. You can't. It's impossible. Because the word of God forbids these things. But along with that, you cannot vote for, approve of, or accept any form of homosexuality and live by faith.
You can't. You can't. Look in Mark chapter 1. Brother Martin, do you know who... Oh, how many people get mad at you at this? Well, yeah, probably a bunch of them. But here's the thing. Jesus said, you have to live by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Well, do you know what that means when you stand behind a pulpit? That means if you're living by faith, you're living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which means what you preach had better be every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, in Mark chapter 1, look at verse 21. It says, they went... Jesus and the people with him, traveling with him. They went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And all were amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now, you see that word unclean. All right. That word unclean comes from the Greek word akathartos. Now, this word akathartos, it has various aspects of its definition, but part of its meaning is this. And I found this interesting, the way that um, this particular dictionary portrayed it. Unclean by natural pollution. That's not talking about the ozone, okay? Unclean by natural. In other words, you do something in the natural that produces an uncleanness in your being. Are you understanding? For example, and I'll just, I mean, you can turn to these if you want, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, now there's imagery here. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now that is written to the body of Christ. He said you can't do this. You can't. And the imagery, you guys, I don't have to go into word definitions. You understand what they're talking here. Especially this part about abusers of themselves with mankind. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 5, it says, For you know this, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. You cannot be in favor of that type of lifestyle and vote for it and approve of it and be living by faith. See, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see more than one occasion where Jesus was casting out an unclean spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that every time the person with the unclean spirit was involved in what God calls abominable behavior. But it doesn't mean it wasn't like that. Now, 
If Jesus is going about casting out unclean spirits that were driving people to live an unclean lifestyle, then why in the world would God make people like that? Let me get this straight. God made you this way so that Jesus could come along and cast it out of you. But if God made you that way, then that must have been the will of God. So if Jesus is casting it out of you, then isn't Jesus in opposition to the will of God? Come on. You cannot live this way. You can't. And be living by faith. It is impossible. See, these are things that in the body of Christ, we don't even think about. But when he says... You've got to, you have to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There's no option. If you're going to live by faith, let me, let me say it like this. If you're going to have revival faith, pleasing unto God faith, you don't have any options but to do it the way that God has described in His Word. You cannot teach healing is not for today and truly be living by faith. You can't. Along with that, you cannot teach that tongues and the gifts of the Spirit are not for today and truly be living by faith. It's, you can't. See, you can be living by... Let me say it like this. You can be living by partial faith. In other words, if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ to be born again, you're not going to be born again. You're not going to heaven. All right. Well, there's faith involved in that. But the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, you can't live that way and teach things that are opposed to what God has said in His Word. You can't be living by faith if you teach against something that has proceeded forth from the mouth of God. It's impossible. Look over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And in verse 1 it says that uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, in verse 2, when uh, when <clears throat> Nicodemus goes to Jesus, he says, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Here's what he was asking. One, how is it possible to do the works you're doing? And two, how can God be with me the same way he is with you? That's what he's asking here. Verse 3 is the answer. 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what he's saying here is, if you're in the kingdom of God, you have the potential to do these things, but to get into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You want to know how it is these things can be done. Well, you have to be born again. And if you want to know how God can be with you the way he is with me, you must be born again. There's your answer. And then he continues um, and explains here in verses 14 through 17 how to be born again. He explains that God sent his son. In fact, look at this. In verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See that? Now He's telling you how to be born again. So Nicodemus, you want to know how to do these works, and you want to know how God can be with you the way He is with me. The answer is you must be born again so that you can get into the kingdom of God. So then, Nicodemus, to answer your next question, how to be born again, you have to believe in the Son of God that God sent. Now this word believe, and I've taught on this before, I won't go into it in great detail. It comes from a Greek word that does not exclusively mean what we've said it means. Here's what I'm getting at. You've got to believe in Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people out there. They're going to tell you, well, I believe that Jesus uh, is the Son of God. You do? Yeah, yeah, you born of a virgin. You believe that? Yeah, I believe that. And I also believe this, that he was crucified. You believe that? Oh, yeah, I believe that. And I believe that he raised from the dead. Uh, you know, Easter. I believe all that. Really? Wow. You must be born again. Not necessarily. Just because you said it, does it mean you believe it in here? Because, see, this word believe, it doesn't simply mean an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. It means an acceptance of who He is and what He said. In other words, an acknowledgement of who He is and a belief that every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God is the standard, nothing else. That's what this means. And you've got a lot of people out there that think they're born again and a lot of people who think somebody is born again when in reality they're not. They're absolutely not. Now, if you look over in John chapter 6, you see this presented a little bit differently, but it's basically the same message. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. So there it is. We have that word believe again. It takes us back to what we just saw over there in John chapter 3, verse 16. What, what can we do that we can work the works of God? And Jesus said, You know, that's kind of like what Nicodemus asked me just a couple of chapters ago. <laughs> Here's what you have to do. You have to believe on me. And not just believe who I am, but you've got to believe my words. You have to apply them to your life and live this way. See, being born again is like walking through a door in the Spirit into a room of all things are possible. And being born again qualifies a person 
to experience their own Acts 10.38. What's Acts 10.38? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So the moment that you walk into that room, the moment you're born again, that is the starting point. And you're now qualified to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and go about doing the works of God, or in other words, doing the works that Jesus did. That's the potential. Now look over in Mark chapter 4. Because you have a lot of Christians. They're going to tell you, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. You know, born again and so forth. And they, they sincerely mean it. And they, they sincerely made a, what we call, profession of faith in Jesus to be born again. But beyond that, they start slicing away portions of Scripture that they don't want to believe. That they don't want to live by. In fact, some Christians have actually gone so far as to say, well, there are parts, and I'm paraphrasing, there, there are parts of the Bible that aren't relevant for today because society has changed. I don't know what that means. Now, if you mean, well, we no longer offer animal sacrifices, okay, well, I agree with you on that. However, the whole aspect of <laughs> saying, well, no, this, this part here isn't relevant. You know, that, that was only for the church at Ephesus, or it was only for the Galatian churches, or it was only for... You can't play those games. If you're going to live by faith, it's every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here in Mark chapter 4, look at verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith, Jesus saith unto them, his disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. And when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And they said unto him, and he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have... No faith. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this? How about son of God? How about somebody who has the life and nature of God on the inside of him? How about somebody who understands his authority as a child of God in this world? How about that? That's what kind of man this is. So then the question comes up, are you speaking to your storm? Or are you bailing water and expecting God to grab a bucket and help? Because that's what they were doing there. We're perishing. Don't you care? Here, there's an extra bucket. I threw that part in. (laughs) But do you honestly think those guys had any idea that he was going to speak to the storm? If they did, they wouldn't have been, verse 31, feared exceedingly. What manner of man is this? They wouldn't have said that. If they had expected him to stand up, just, Peter, go back there and wake him up. I mean, you're the troublemaker. Go back there and wake him up. And, and just let him talk to this stuff and get it over. That wasn't it. 
They wanted him to help Baal. And he stands up and he says, now, okay, give me some liberty here, all right? You guys think I'm going to help you bail the water out, huh? Do you not understand the more we bail, we just make more space for more water to come in? The solution is not bailing water. The solution is an end to the storm. Now, fellas, this is how you put an end to the storm. Peace. Be still. And the storm stops. And they look at, they look at each other and shazam. <laughs> what manner of man is this? Now, the part that's not recorded is, is when Jesus said, now, finish bailing the water out. Oh, I'm going back and finish my nap. <laughs> no, I made that part up too. All right, now. See, the moment we start crying out to God, Oh, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? Anybody done that lately? Please don't lift your hand. Remember, blank stares. Oh, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? The moment we do that, we're revealing that we're bailing water. We're trying to fix it with our own strength, ability, and earthly wisdom. You can't be that way. Because, well, if you're going to live by faith... You can't be that way. See, truly living by faith means you understand the power of a Genesis 1 tongue that is governed by the Word of God. What's a Genesis 1 tongue? And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. Oh, and then, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. And let him have authority over what I've created. When, you ha- when you're living by faith, you've got a Genesis 1 tongue that is not governed by worry, fear, and the storms that you are encountering right now in your life. Or will encounter next week, or next year, or whenever. When we're truly living by faith, we know that we have the ability to live in peace and sleep in the midst of the storm. Look, guys, I've, I've been there myself. You go to bed at night and you're all worked up over something. Lay there in bed, tears running down your face. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I? Excuse me, you're going to trust God. I'm not trying to be cruel here, but what I'm saying is this. I have learned. I'm at a point now in my life, after all these, you know, 38 plus years, after all this time, after all this time, I have learned that a lot of people who talk about they're trusting God, they're not. Not the way they think and not the way they say. Because when you're truly trusting God, you don't let your heart be troubled. When you're truly trusting God, you're not going to be fearful in the midst of a storm that looks like it's going to sink your boat. You're not. You're going to be able to say, what a great God I serve. Redeemer, deliverer, storm enderer. (laughs) Do you see this? And here's, here's part of the problem. A lot of Christians, they talk the talk, but they don't want to deal with it from this perspective. It's almost like they don't want to use faith. They want to, they want to figure out the problem, the solution, and then tell God what to do. Okay, remember, that's what these guys in the boat were trying. 
Don't you care that we perish? Don't you care that our life is a, is a mess? Don't you care that my marriage stinks? Don't you care that my kid's doing this? Don't you care that mama's doing that? Don't you care? Don't you care? And he's going to say, well, yeah, I... <laughs> more than you. Because if you really cared, you'd be turning them over to me and casting the care over to me. But you're not doing that. You're hindering me. Because you're trying to figure out how to solve this the problem and fix this, whatever it would be. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a, a interaction with another human. It can be money problems. It can be a health situation. Whatever. Whatever. Put a title on your storm, man. God, He has, He's given to you that authority and that ability to speak to it, to trust Him based on what He said in His Word. Look over in Mark chapter 7. No, no, no. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to give you a moment to get there. This is very important. I want you to be there in Matthew 17. But then I also want you to be turned over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Now, there are pages in between Matthew 17 and Mark chapter 9. And what I want you to do, see, see how I have these pages pinched like this? So I can flip back and forth between the two. Okay, that's what we're going to be doing. Now those of you who have stubbornly refused to have a written copy of the Word of God and you insist that your electronic version is better than the written version, today's the day. You're going to find out the written version is what you ought to be bringing with you. The electronic version is not bad. Sat in the living room last night, finished reading through the book of Acts on my phone. I'm not saying you can't use that. However, what we're getting ready to do, I bet I win this race. Glory to God. Okay, now, Matthew 17. What's happened is Jesus, Peter, James, John have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're coming down, and we pick it up in verse 14. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Mark chapter 9, verse 19. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his Jesus, asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, 
And he arose, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? Matthew 17, verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Okay, a lot of people want to focus in on casting the demon out. See there, if you don't pray and fast, you can't cast out the demons. But that is not what Jesus was talking about. I've taught on this before, but a lot of people still haven't seen it, still haven't grasped it, so I'm hoping this will clarify it even further. Now, they asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? We assume that Jesus answered their question in Matthew 17, verse 20, because of your unbelief. The truth of the matter is, he had already answered their question. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says unto the father of that son, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Who heard that? The father of the son and the disciples standing there watching this whole thing happen. They're witnesses to this. They hear this conversation. And the man says, if you can help. And Jesus says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So then Matthew 17, they get with Jesus alone and they ask, why could not we cast him out? What Jesus could have said was this, fellas. I just told you a few minutes ago, were you not listening? I said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Apparently, you guys don't believe enough or you could have cast him out. Are you understanding this? This progression? And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 17, verse 19... Because of your unbelief. It's like, now I can, when I've read this in the past, you know, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. But this time, I'm not so sure that's the way he said it. When they said, well, how come we couldn't cast him out? It's possible Jesus looked at them with that, are you kidding me? Expression, you know how we give that to people. You know. <laughs> and, said, and he would look at them and said, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Guys, I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, <coughs> and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Mark nine twenty three. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. See this? And so what Jesus is saying, if you've got a grain of mustard seed, faith is a grain of mustard seed, say to the mountain. Well, this is a visual. Because to the natural mind, it would seem to be a whole lot easier to tell a demon to come out of a person than to speak to Mount Everest and tell it to jump into the middle of the ocean. Do you understand that? (laughs) He's trying to give them something visual they can relate to. He might have even pointed to a mountain off in the distance when he did that. 
You can say to this mountain, right here, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed. And they're thinking, what? But nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing. How be it? And what, what they could have said, what the apostles could have said is, after Jesus casts this thing out, they get him alone and they say, okay, Jesus, all right, all right, all right. We couldn't cast that thing out. So, based on what you told that man, that if you could believe all things were possible to him that believes, then we must not believe as much as we think. So therefore, what can we do that will enhance our ability to believe the way that you believe because you cast that thing out? And the answer would have been, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. The, the demon gets dealt with when the unbelief is removed as a barrier so that the belief, the faith, can be put into action. See this? He's talking about their unbelief. Now, when it comes to truly, truly living by faith, see, this is where we have to be. This is what we have to get toward. And truly living by faith is accepting, number one, that God is not at fault for our faith failures. Oh God, I do believe. I do believe. I do believe. That's just like those fellows, the, the, the apostles. Well, how come we couldn't cast him out? The assumption is we believe. Guys, I just told you because nothing's impossible to, the, to him that believes. They thought they believed. We believed. There must be a greater problem. Why didn't God want that demon to come out of that, that fellow? After all, we do believe, Jesus. He said, well, yeah, you believe, but not enough. Just like the one, just like the dad said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's what those apostles should have been saying. We believe. I mean, we've cast other devils out. We've seen people healed. Help us with our unbelief. Number one, God is not at fault for our faith failures or our inability to get things done by faith. Number two, unbelief or a lack of faith is the only reason we are not seeing the works of Jesus done. That's it. Unbelief. What, you think God's going to hold back, not let you get somebody healed who needs to be healed? And everybody that went to Jesus got their healing. Everybody. And you think everybody that He healed was perfect? You know, the law of Moses abiding citizen? No way. Man, you might have had people that the night before, who knows what they were doing? Jesus healed them. He healed them. Number three, living, truly living by faith means we accept that developing faith is exclusively up to the individual, up to the believer. Developing faith is totally up to us. Totally. totally. Look, if, the, if we're to live by faith and by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, and it was up to God for that to happen, don't you think He'd have dropped that on us now, years ago, if His will as is we live by faith? Don't you think He would have just put it on us? But He hasn't done that. He's not going to. Developing faith is exclusively up to the believer. Now, the Holy Spirit helps when we pray in tongues. But it's up to us to make the decision to pray in tongues to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Number four, truly 
living by faith is accepting that we develop faith by sowing the word, praying in tongues, and fasting. I mean, Jesus said prayer and fasting. We sow the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We sow the word. We pray in tongues. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. And the fasting. What The fasting, I'm not going to teach it. I mean, lots of teaching series on that. Fasting is essentially overpowering the flesh that's standing between you and somebody else's need being met. Be healed in Jesus' name. And they're healed. That's the pattern in Scripture. See, what's happened is, over the years, the way that faith has been taught, it's, it, sometimes it comes across as being really difficult. Sometimes, it, you know, I am believing, I am believing, I am believing. And we lay in bed and walking around, driving, trying to figure out why. Why, you know, but I am believing, I am believing. Okay, you are. We're not doubting that you are, but you're not believing enough. I mean, this is what we see in Scripture. So now, here's what happens. We sow the Word. We pray in tongues. Worship, when it comes to living by faith, worship is kind of an auxiliary to this. The primary is sowing the Word into us and praying in tongues and fasting. Okay, if we do that, now this is, this is so simple. If we do that, faith begins developing without a sweat. We don't have to sit around all worked up over, God, I believe, God. No, you know what? You just say, okay, you know, okay, I believe. But I don't yet believe as much as I should, or I would be seeing works of Jesus' results in my life. So therefore, I'm just going to keep praying in tongues. I'm just going to keep sowing the Word of God in. And, yeah, you know, do some fasting. You know, different, whatever kind of fasting. And, uh, let me, you know how people say, well, you know, you do what you can, let the chips roll. You ever heard that? Yeah. I'm not really sure what that means, but... Um, you do the praying in the spirit. Yeah, you people, don't you dare come up to me and say, well, I was at the casino the other day and let me tell you about the tip. Oh, 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 I just went there to observe, okay? I mean, I just happened to be walking by and looked in the plate glass window. Oh, yeah. So what we do is we pray in tongues, we sow the word, we do some fasting, and you know what? We let the, quote, chips fall or roll or whatever chips do. (laughs) In other words, it just starts happening. You, you do the praying, the sowing, the fasting, and the faith begins developing. And you don't have to sit around and worry about it. It happens. It develops. And then you start seeing things happen. The works of Jesus. You, you start praying for people and you start seeing the results and so forth. What I'm trying to do in this is to help us to understand what it truly means to live by faith. And I'm telling you right now, this message this morning is one that a lot of people, a lot of Christians have never heard when it comes to living by faith, but they need to hear. And for us, I don't know how you perceive this, but to me, it simplifies 
the whole aspect of living by faith. The more you sow the word out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah, also, out of the abundance of the heart, the individual lives. So the more that I sow the word in, it starts changing me. And I begin maturing from faith to faith to faith, if you will. Okay, um, I'm going to say this. I wasn't going to say this. I told the Lord I wasn't going to say this. I told Him last night I wasn't going to say this. Reminded Him this morning I wasn't going to say this. In fact, I even took it out of my notes. But right here at the end, He reminded me. Now I should have left it in my notes. <laughs> okay. Help me, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to have to put it in different words, but it's going to be the exact same message. This physical battle that you're fighting, you need to go to a doctor because your faith is not where it needs to be for you to receive a fully manifested healing. If you do not go to a doctor, you face the possibility of permanent injury in your body. Furthermore, there are some physical afflictions that advance quicker than the development of a believer's faith. Do not condemn yourself for going to a doctor, I give you approval. Now, I could stand here and possibly give identity to, to let's just say, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> if that applies to you, you better think hard about this. I thank God, you know, I told you years ago, or I told you what happened to me years ago about the, the virus that attacked my body. And in less than three weeks, so much fluid had built up around my heart, within the sack of my heart. It was crushing my heart. I, I could not have walked the aisle here in the sanctuary. And at the end of it, I would have been almost collapsed, almost unconscious, panting, gasping for breath. That's how bad it was. Because my heart didn't have enough room to beat. It was barely beating. I thank God that I went to a doctor. And they operated. And they put a tube in that sack around the heart and ran that tube out in between ribs to drain that fluid. And they drained over 20 ounces of fluid. That's, I don't know how many ounces are in this thing right here. Okay, you got eight ounces here. So roughly about three of these little bottles of water. That's how much fluid was in there, crushing my heart. I was just, I don't know, two, three, four days away from being dead. Because it was crushing my heart. It didn't have any room to, to beat. And if I had collapsed and died, they couldn't have revived me with the, the shock paddles because there was no room for my heart to beat. So I went to the doctor. That affliction developed faster than what I had done concerning developing my faith. So I accept the blame for that. I, I should have been in a place of being able to deal with it. But 
I wasn't at that time. But I know this, my faith is further along now than what it was back then. And it's, it has to continue to grow. That's just the way it is. So you know what? You pray about what you just heard. To whomever this applies. You pray about what you just heard. And, you know, I don't know how long you want to suffer physically. But you heard what God said. It's not wrong to go to a doctor. It's not wrong. Praise the Lord. But guys, look, take this message today and think about it. And I just encourage you, let's continue to do what we know to do to to develop our faith. And we will begin to see results. It's inevitable. Glory to God. Please stand. Well, Father, I want to thank you for your word today. And I know that for some people it can be very challenging. But yet your word is your word. It's not going to change. And if we're truly going to live by faith, then we have to, to accept the sum total of everything you've recorded here in Scripture. Now, Father, to whomever that healing word applied to, Father, I don't want them to feel discouraged. But, but Father, the truth is, even Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. And Paul is a person who raised the dead. So regardless of whatever we think about all that, the bottom line is, I pray that those who should go to a doctor will go. Thank you, Father, that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. And thank you that as we develop our faith, healing will manifest more easily. I praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.